This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. question who here likes hot lettuce no one i'm assuming and mcdonald's made a big decision on this massive issue in the 1980s with the mcdonald's mcdlt and that was a burger that competed with the whopper in 1984 the burger was served in a two-part compartment to keep the hot side hot and the cold side cold it would be discontinued in the early 80s when it became the big and tasty. And that's what we're going to look at here today on the Everything 80s podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. If you're brand new here, extra special welcome. Thanks for joining us. And I'm fascinated with all things sort of 1980s fast food and the marketing that went behind all these things and the boardroom antics and competing with each other and the battles and the McDonald's versus Burger King and the whole thing. I find it really interesting. And this story is pretty interesting too. And of course, as the title says, it features the work of a young George Costanza, aka Jason Alexander. So that's what we're going to look at here today. Before we start, just a few things. First, if you haven't, go ahead and subscribe. That way you get the shows automatically sent to you. And second... If you are a part of Patreon.com, I just put up a new movie review over at the Everything 80s Movie Club, looking at 1986's classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So that's Patreon.com slash 80s. If you're already a member there, just check your feed. It should be there. I'll talk. If you want to stick around to the end of the show, I'm going to do another uh, Patreon of the Week shout out and bio, and then a little more information just if you're interested in that. Okay, let's get right to it. So as mentioned, this is, you know, McDonald's chance to go up against the enormous success of the Whopper. It was also the way to solve a problem. And like I said, they'd use a future sitcom superstar and actually another one to do so. We'll get to that in a minute. And really, this McDLT sort of still lives today. And You've seen it in four different versions as they've tried to continue to reinvent it. And one of those situations where a giant company just refuses to give up on an idea and they rebrand it and they repackage it and that whole deal. Okay, so speaking of that and, you know, talking about the 
you know, kind of savage competition that existed in the fast food world in the 80s. The best way it can be summed up is with that Pablo Picasso quote. And he said, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And the McDonald's McDLT was the answer to that massively successful Whopper put out by Burger King. But McDonald's wanted to take care of a problem with this new creation. Wouldn't it be great if every McDonald's burger came with a small oven for the burger and a small refrigerator for the lettuce and tomato? If you'd ever thought that, you just got in the minds of the product development team for McDonald's in the 1980s. In fairness, this is a legit concern that many fast food diners have. No one wants hot, slimy lettuce and vegetables in their burgers. I mean, I know we're not going to get the burger that you see in an advertisement or a commercial with all the trickery that's done in those situations, but we want it to somewhat resemble, you know, what's been advertised. We want, you know, a little bit of crispiness in the vegetables. We don't want this hot, slimy mess. And these are big enough demands that, you know, giant corporations eventually have to listen to it. So again, even if this seems like a small problem, it's still a problem. And when it comes to the bottom line for these giant corporations, this can result in millions, if not tens of millions of dollars of loss when they don't address these situations. So now, how do you keep a burger as fresh and crispy as possible? The burger they came up with was simple. It was based around being a BLT, but swapping out the bacon for a burger. It also contained mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup, pickles, sliced onions, and American cheese. The meat DLT would come in a unique styrofoam packaging called the double clamshell container, and that would keep the meat and the bottom bun on one side and the lettuce, tomato, cheese, and other toppings and top bun on the other side. The customer would then have to put the burger together. And I'm not sure how old you are or if you ever had one of these. I remember very specifically having it. And part of me, even at a young age, thinking, why am I putting this whole thing together? And I've got to sort of slop this thing around and I could drop something. And it was a little labor intensive, you know, thinking I'm Gordon Ramsay having to assemble this creation on my own in a restaurant. This would be part of the problem. So McDonald's has this idea, and they think it's pretty good. Now you've got to get it out there. And this is the 1980s, and it's all about commercial advertising. Today, it's so hard for corporations, big or small, to get in front of the audience. There are so many things vying for our attention that were pulled in so many different directions. And if you think back to the 1980s, commercials you see on TV would last a minute, sometimes longer, sometimes 90 seconds with the thought, maybe we had a little longer attention span and the companies could really deliver their message and get down to the like nitty gritty of their product or service or whatever. Now you're looking at 10 seconds. I mean, a company has to get their message across practically even less. And then what platform do you do it on? Where do you start? Not as many people watch TV anymore. People surprisingly still listen to the radio in, in high numbers. So do you put your money into that? Obviously, the internet, where do you start there? Do you do pop-up ads? Do you take out sponsored content? Do you pay the big bucks and then have 
what appears to be articles and news reports on big, you know, sites like CNN, but they're just disguised as product placement or commercials. Do you advertise on Facebook? Do you advertise on Instagram or Snapchat? What do you do? In the 80s, it was much more simple. You had three networks and a very good chance that anything you advertise is going to be seen by a majority of the public. But you had to dial it in and nail your advertising. It's often said that the best way to ruin a good product, you know, is obviously with a bad commercial. But then if you have a poor product, the other worst way to ruin it is with a really good commercial. Because if the marketing is great and the product's not there, people are soon going to find out that this thing sucks. That might have been one of the issues here. Not necessarily, but the marketing in the 80s was all about, you know, capturing a feeling and creating that moment. Like you remember in Coke commercials and Pepsi commercials and fast food and just about that fun and excitement of youth. But you really had to nail this in. And there's this sort of unwritten rule in marketing that people know they're being sold to. So the very least you can do is entertain them. You are robbing someone of their time, whether they're reading a print ad or listening to the radio or watching a commercial. So again, this is sort of like the marketer's deal that for your attention and for that period of time that they are obviously pushing something on us that they will at least do it in an entertaining or like informative uh, message. So for advertisers, especially in the 1980s, they really had their work cut out for them because they had to do a little bit of everything. They had to entertain, they had to be informative, but they still had to extol the virtues of their product and why it was better than the others. At the same time, having a large percentage of the viewing public watch. So like I said, one bad commercial and you're done. So everything had to come together. Product had to be right. Marketing had to be great. So in the case of the McDonald's McDLT commercial, nothing I don't think has ever captured a product better than what they put out, especially in their introductory commercial. And of course, it introduced us to a young Jason Alexander, who of course would go on to play one of the great characters in TV history, George Costanza. If you're not familiar with his past work, Jason Alexander is a notable Broadway performer. This was one of the most like eye-opening things ever from being such a massive Seinfeld fan and not knowing Jason Alexander's past and then finding out he's this adored Broadway Tony Award winning actor. He won the Tony Award in 1989 for his work in Jerome Robinson's Broadway. He's a great singer. He can dance. He's that classic triple threat. And it's just so funny that this incredibly talented musical man played one of the most devious scumbag characters of all time. The point is, despite, you know, the bumbling nature of his most famous character, he was that legit entertainment uh, or entertaining sort of delivery service that all these big companies needed to promote their product. Because again, they're trying to capture that energy. They're trying to create that moment and that movement behind their product and their brand. And, you know, here they've got someone who can sing, dance and act and commercials where these like big elaborate productions and almost seem like, you know, little mini movies at times, whether they seem like a a music video or a small film clip, you know, they had to deliver on this. 
So at the time, they thought, who better to use all their talents in one person than to help advertise the McDLT? So what you get in this 1985 gem of a commercial is one of the most extravagant, over-the-top Broadway performances you will ever see in a commercial. So I'm insisting you go on YouTube and check this thing out. If not, I'm going to play the whole audio clip so you can actually get a sense of where this thing is going. Say you're getting tired of lettuce and tomato hamburgers in this town that don't quite make it. Yeah! You say that just once you'd like your hamburger hot and your lettuce and tomato cool and crisp all at the same time. Yeah! Well, I say you got it. I'm talking McDonald's new lettuce and tomato hamburger, the McDLT. I'm talking quarter pound of beef on the hot, hot side. And the hot stays hot. The new McDLT. Hot, hot. Crisp lettuce and tomato on the cool, cool side. And the cool. Stays cool. The new McDLT. Cool crisp. The beef stays hot. The cool stays crisp. Put it together, you can't resist. The hottest taste. The coolest dish. Keep it hot, hot. Keep it cool, cool. McDLT. McDLT. Hot, beefy McD. Cool crisp LT. McD. LT. It's a good time. Hot, beefy McD. For the great taste. Cool crisp LT. Of McDonald's. Could be the best tasting lettuce and tomato hamburger ever. New McD. So that just gives you a little sense of the absurdity of this thing. Honestly, just pause this show if you've never seen this thing before and just go on YouTube and look it up just to get the full experience and just try not to laugh at just how over the top this thing is. It's, I just, the uh, the exaggerated moves that lead from scene to scene and just that overabundance of fake, you know, 1980s, fast food enthusiasm it's like rent and glee got together to sell an alternative to the whopper hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. But wait, there is more. It's not all just Jason Alexander, another future sitcom sitcom icon from the 1990s would lend her talents to launching the McDLT in 1987. Have a listen. Here's a commercial. See if you know who it is. Lettuce and tomatoes are very delicate. If they get warm, they get all soggy and pathetic looking. So I keep them in their own compartment in my refrigerator. McDonald's does the same thing with their McDLT. The burger stays hot on the McOven side, and the McFridge side keeps the lettuce and tomato cool and crisp. They're kept apart until I put them together. That's why the McDLT tastes so good and fresh. Mmm. Mmm. 
Recognize her? I'm sure you did. That's Janet Hubert, a.k.a. the original Aunt Viv from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay, let's look at the success of this thing. The McDLT was launched in 1984, and it was a pretty decent hit at first. You know, it really was a novelty. It sold for only $1.49, which is about $3.60 when converted for today. So that's not bad. And this was a decent value as you knew that your burger was at least somewhat fresh and everything hadn't been microwaved together. If you think how expensive burgers get these days where they're upwards of seven, eight, nine dollars for the actual burger, this was pretty good value. And as over as the top over the top as the commercial was, the jingle was pretty memorable and people were focused on that idea of keeping the hot side hot and the cool side cool. The commercial went just beyond George and Aunt Viv. They had Aretha Franklin, Jerry Butler, William the Refrigerator Perry. They all appeared in various McDLT commercials. Again, not that celebrities aren't used now, but back in the 80s, um, if you could tie in that celebrity instantly with that product, that was make or break. Where at this point, you know, there's a wider range between, you know, celebrities, influencers, um, good word of mouth, creating something like a viral hit, all that sort of mess. McDonald's was doing pretty well in the 80s because this is a time when they introduced some, you know, pretty big time food products. The Happy Meal was now an established thing. I've done a whole episode on that. That one's pretty interesting. This whole thing you think would have been dreamt up in like a, a corporate boardroom or whatever. It was actually... Um, a franchisee down somewhere in South America who was just looking around her McDonald's and seeing that, you know, mothers were having trouble sort of feeding their kids and there was, you know, too many things to juggle and balance. And she thought they they needed something, you know, just to keep their kids happy, quiet, entertained, um, all contained into one little box. That was the origins of the Happy Meal. Then Chicken McNuggets were introduced. They were a fun new creation. And I've done an episode all about that, which, again, I find this stuff interesting. Chicken McNuggets were actually designed by a world-renowned French chef. Even the sauces were, like, meticulously handcrafted and trialed and went through tons of testing and stuff like that. So interesting story there. The McDLT was doing all right for itself, and it would last until the end of the decade, but environmental issues were ultimately what put the kibosh on the whole thing. So let's look at that here. And the 1980s were not exactly a time of environmental awareness, shall we say. I mean, just look at the size of some of those gas-guzzling monstrosities we called cars back then. But as the decade was coming to a close people were becoming more conscientious of environmental issues. This would be a big problem for the McDLT. The styrofoam packaging that the burger came in was seen as unnecessary, wasteful, and harmful to the environment. McDonald's wants to avoid any kind of public backlash, so they discontinued the McDLT in December 1990. By January 1991, McDonald's had fully moved away from the polyurethane styrene combination packaging. The problem was, it could no longer be the McDLT they had advertised, the one that had all the fresh ingredients. 
This led to a full overhaul of the burger, which would create a few variations of itself over the years. So most of these you'll probably be familiar with. This is what the McDLT evolved into. The first thing is the McLean Deluxe, if you remember that one. This was the first new iteration of the McDLT. Not only did it come in a single cardboard container, it had a few ingredient changes from the original McDLT. It came without mayonnaise and was promoted as a lower fat burger, if you remember that, that McLean, 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 you know, sort of got confused a little bit there, but that was the idea. It was a lean burger. The mayonnaise taken out cut down on the fat content, and the patty itself was made with carrageenan, which replaced the beef fat in the patty. The McLean Deluxe did pretty well with test audiences, but really didn't catch on when it was rolled out. It did last until 1996, however, but the dwindling sales led to another change. So now the McDLT is replaced and converted to the Arch Deluxe. This was McDonald's attempt to appeal to the more adult crowd, whatever that means to them. The Arch Deluxe was a more sophisticated burger. I'm using air quotes that you can't see right now. But how do you make something sophisticated in a fast food restaurant, especially McDonald's? Well, the secret, add Dijon mustard. Dijon has somehow risen the ranks to become the Rolls Royce of condiments. You know, if someone brings out Dijon, everyone's like, ooh, Dijon. Either way, this was seen at creating a more high-end burger that, again, still has its roots in the McDLT. The other big change was the bun. With the Arch Deluxe, McDonald's went with a higher quality roll, which again, feels like all you need to do to make something more adult. Shockingly, McDonald's does not seem to appeal to the elite of society, and the Arch Deluxe died a slow death before being discontinued in 1998, where then it was repackaged again into the Big and Tasty. Not Big and Tasty, the Big and Tasty. I don't know, it's... I feel it's pretty gutsy McDonald's to market a product with the names Big and Tasty, but depends what you think of McDonald's. They are obviously a bold company. The Big and Tasty would be the final iteration of the McDLT, and it was introduced in 1997. This burger kept the legacy of the McDLT going for quite a few years and became a big hit around the world. You may remember the Big Extra, depending where you lived at the time. The Big Extra was released on the East Coast and the Big and Tasty on the West Coast. They were launched at the same time to get a feel for what people like best. In marketing terms, they call this A-B testing, where you just put out two versions of something, get the feedback and see what's the most, you know, which one gets the best response. And then that's your full rollout. And, you know, the companies have been doing this for years and years. So depending where you live, you might be seeing a different version of something. This is really like obviously popular online where say with something like Netflix, the version of Netflix you're seeing is probably completely different than mine because of how they're trying to promote stuff and seeing what's responded to, not just with as far as like what's clicked on and watch times and all that sort of thing, but as far as layouts, um, the ordering of things. So every, you know, a lot of people are looking at different things at different times and they're just sort of accumulating all this data. So, you know, in the eighties, they made it pretty simple. East coast, West coast, see which one works best. The Big and Tasty won out, ultimately, and then it was rolled out nationally uh, in the year 2000. You may not remember this, but the Big and Tasty was on the dollar menu for McDonald's and considered one of their flagship burgers. 
The Big and Tasty is also interesting because the national campaign in 2001 featured a young NBA star named Kobe Bryant in one of his first big commercial endorsements. The Big and Tasty was eventually bumped off the dollar menu for the double cheeseburger in 2003. By 2011, the Big and Tasty went to the big barbecue in the sky when it was officially removed from the menu on January 1st, and ultimately that was the end of the McDLT. But you can still find the Big and Tasty in a few odd locations for some reason. Okay, I'll start I'll start winding it down here because you probably didn't think that the McDonald's McDLT had a long and sordid history like this. But through all the different versions, the core of the burger was still the same. And if it wasn't for the packaging issue, could have still been sold to this day. Looking back, it's not a bad idea. You keep everything fresh. You keep the hot side hot. You put it together when you're ready to eat it. It's a pretty solid idea. Either way, the McDLT technically had a run from 1984 to 2011. And luckily, we get to look back at it fondly through its existence in one of the most outlandish fast food commercials you will ever see. So as I finish up here, I want to do a shout out to the Patreon of the week. This is where I'm looking at a a quick little profile on the top level Patreon. So this week is Vince. And and what I've been doing is just, you know, asking um, some of these top level people, you know, some of their favorite 80s things just to see, you know, how they compare to the things you like and, you know, how we share so many of these common interests. So looking at some top favorites, you know, I asked, you know, favorite cartoon for him, easiest one, G.I. Joe. And it's the one he loves most from that era. Also, of course, you know, Transformers, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. For movies, as usual, these are tough questions. You know, I'm asking favorites and it's more about narrowing them down. It's, I, you know, even I can't even necessarily pick one favorite. So for Vince, he loves a lot of the action adventure movies from the early 80s, you know, and then obviously like Empire Strikes Back, The Wrath of Khan, the Indiana Jones movies. When he gets a TV, same thing. It's a vast sort of, you know, um, landscape of favorites. He has the fond memories of the Friday night lineup on CBS in the early 80s. If you remember like Incredible Hulk, of course, the Dukes of Hazard, And then, you know, he still also loves the rise of, you know, when cable started to happen and, you know, when USA and Nickelodeon started coming through. When it comes to favorite music, He said, you know, he started buying music for himself around junior high, and then that sort of coincided with the late 80s hair metal band. So, you know, loving those things like Motley Crue, Poison, Bon Jovi, all that sort of thing. So that's our Patreon of the week. And like I mentioned at the start of the show, Patreon is where I host the Everything 80s Movie Club. And that's one of the few different tiers. And Patreon.com is a way to support like small independent shows like this you know, for as low as like a few bucks a month. But the idea is that you're getting audio rewards for doing so. So at say like that Boba Fett level, that gets you access to the Everything 80s Movie Club. And then the top tiers um, get stuff like this. So shout outs, little bio features, also the, you know, ability to suggest future episodes and stuff like that. So if you're interested in supporting smaller independent shows like this one, You can learn more, see the different tiers, see what's available at patreon.com slash 80, so P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80S, or wherever you're listening, there should be a link that'll take you 
right there. But that's it for me. Thank you for listening. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.